1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Welcome to the show and happy Tuesday. We are back, even though this was supposed to be the beginning of our
3: week. I, I know, actually, um, this this week has been long, and I don't know if y'all listened yesterday, um, but we were supposed to be off from work, but guess what? We still gave y'all a
2: show. I mean, talk about hard working.
3: <laughs> no, it was actually really funny because we were almost done pre-recording, and we found <laughs> out close to like we had two segments left, and we found out like oh. We could have had today off.
2: (laughs) I know. It was one of those moments where you're just like, okay, breathe through this. And yeah, that happened.
3: Oh, no. I wanted to throw everything. I was like, I could have been in the bed. Are you kidding me?
2: I could have taken a vacation.
3: (laughs) Three-day vacation. Oh, God. Well, we hope you enjoyed your three-day vacation. But tell them what's coming up on the show.
2: Yeah, coming up on the show, Human Rights Campaign Mississippi is joining us to talk about the transgender laws impacting trans girls in schools at 5.30 p.m. Pacific, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Plus, how to deal with this latest phase of pandemic burnout. It's real. If you feel like you've hit a wall, well, you are not alone. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Governor Brian Kemp announced legislation to overhaul Georgia's citizens arrest statute following the murder of Ahmed Arbery.
4: And some tried to justify the actions of his killers by claiming they had the protection of an antiquated law that is ripe for abuse. That is why today my administration is introducing significant reforms to our state citizens arrest statute to close dangerous loopholes that could be used to justify future acts of vigilantism
2: and moving on to vaccines in a supply update today moderna said it expects to complete delivery of 100 million vaccine doses by the end of march followed by another 100 million at the end of may and a final 100 million at the end of july i feel like i'm on a game show this timeline puts moderna's vaccine delivery ahead of the previously outlined schedule which uh, i guess that is good news and finally, former President Trump and attorney Rudy Giuliani are being accused of conspiring with the far right groups Proud Boys and Oath Keepers to incite the January 6th insurrection. The civil lawsuit was filed today in federal court by the Democratic chairman of the House of Homeland Security Committee. Mm. Yep, and that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan?
3: Okay, so I know it's not Valentine's Day anymore, but Miley Cyrus was just called out by a UFC fighter. And to be honest, I'm all types of confused. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Julian Marquez, this is the closest... I mean, closest conversation we will be getting to sports. Um, but he was filling his oats after winning his fight. And instead of gloating, he took the time to ask Miley Cyrus on a date.
1: I've been waiting 31 months to get on this damn mic and to call these people out right now. This is my time to shine. So, Miley Cyrus, will you be my Valentine's?
3: Miley, you heard the call out. Let's go. It's your turn to respond. So, okay. of course, Miley uh, responded on Twitter by saying shave an MC into your chest hair, and I am yours. <laughs> She said, happy V-Day and congrats, my love. I don't know whether to be like super jealous or happy for them. Like, I'm really just trying to figure out where my emotions lie because I just really wish I had a man proclaiming his love like that after his
2: big Oh, win. yeah. I was like, are you into this guy? I mean, it is impressive. He, he obviously knew he was going to do this. Or did this just pop up in his no, head?
3: I mean, I think it may have just popped up. I think it may have just popped up. But it's also <laughs> the adrenaline as well. Like, you're feeling it. You just won. You knocked that dude out and like you're all good to go. So I don't know. He's pumped up. Like he is in that video like sweating (laughs) like this
2: is the one thing I have to share in my life. Mommy Cyrus, will you go out with me? Like, It's an intense moment, but it's kind of hot. I guess if you were her, you might be like, hey, all right. It's it's
3: really hot, actually. But um, moving on really quick, I want to tell you guys about your chance to win your way into an exclusive pay-per-view concert special with Max and his Color Vision Deluxe Experience on Saturday, February 27th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Head over to Weird Channel Q and enter for your chance to win a pair Passes plus a VIP meet and greet with the one and only Max, honey. Go ahead over there to the website and find out all you need to know. I got more tea report coming up next.
2: Now, coming up next on this show, Amy Cooper, who is charged for falsely accusing a black bird watcher of assault. Remember that story? Well, she's been dismissed. So, is that fair? Manhattan DA candidate Eliza Orlins joins us for that next. Let's go there
0: with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Cooper is back in the
2: headlines. Remember that woman who called the police to falsely accuse a black bird watcher of threatening her life in Central Park last May? Well, today she was dismissed after Cooper completed five therapy sessions as part of a restorative justice program. That's according to prosecutors. She was facing a misdemeanor charge for falsely reporting an assault during her encounter with Christian Cooper, by the way, they're not related, who asked her to leash her dog in the Central Park uh, Ramble on May 25th, 2020. Joining us right now is Eliza Orleans, who's a New York City public defender and Manhattan DA candidate who dove right into this conversation today. And Our favorite. Went viral, really. I mean, uh, you've been tweeted by everyone uh, around this topic. Thanks for, be- for being back. Always
5: great to be here with you, too. You know I love you. Oh, thank you. Well, what do you think about this case getting dismissed? What was your hot take? I think some people misread the... what I tweeted about this, which is just that this is the system working as it's designed. Because mm-hmm. I've worked my entire career as a public defender and I've had cases where restorative justice would have been absolutely appropriate, where a dismissal at the end of completing counseling sessions would have been appropriate. But the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has never allowed that to happen. And the fact that this time, when it's a white woman who is comes from a privileged background, who is accused by a black man, All of a sudden, they are okay with using restorative justice, with ending the case in dismissal. And so it really just is another example of how we have two different systems of justice here in the United States and specifically here in Manhattan.
3: Tell us a little bit more about this program, if you can, because it seems like all she had to do was do five therapy sessions, which is that equivalent to this man basically almost losing his his life if the police had came and anything could have happened. It could have been another George Floyd situation even though I believe this was before, like right after it was back to back when this happened. So yeah, I think they what, were the same day. Yeah. <laughs> so tell tell me more about this. Is this something that's always been in place? Like there's an option there for people to, to have to do this? I would say it's incredibly rare for this to be offered as an
5: option. This mm-hmm. is something that you know, really is not given to people. And and a lot of folks have been pointing out, well, Christian Cooper did not want to go forward against her with criminal charges, did not want to see her face incarceration but I can't even tell you the number of times when victims in my cases have come to me and said, but I don't want this person. Maybe it's somebody who they love. Maybe it's a member of their own family. And they're saying, I don't want this person to be prosecuted. I don't want them to go to jail. I don't want them to have a criminal record. But the Manhattan District Attorney's Office does not listen. And that's because these are folks who are lower income. These are folks who are black and brown. These are folks who are LGBTQIA. These are people who don't get that benefit that, you know, an Amy Cooper Um is getting. Yeah. Yeah. And you're hearing from Eliza Orleans, who's a New York
2: City public defender and Manhattan DA candidate. So I guess what would have been the ideal scenario here?
5: Listen, I don't think that necessarily there's a scenario different from what occurred that we should be advocating for. I just think we need to be expanding our idea of what justice looks like for all people. And so, you know, I'm running for district attorney on a platform that's designed to not default to incarceration in all cases, to not say, oh, this person committed a wrong, we must incarcerate them. Mm -hmm. Like that can't be the way in which we operate because that's not what's keeping us safe, that's not actually helping people, that's not building back. I actually think we should be expanding the use of restorative justice practices, but I wanna see it used in cases where the person who's accused of a crime or who has committed a crime, is not a white woman.
3: Yeah, and I think mental health is a huge part of the conversations when we're talking about, especially conversations de- talking about defunding the police, right? Having a mental health expert on around and to de-escalate situations. So I do think that's important. But in this case, it feels like it was used in a completely kind of manipulative way to just suggest that, oh, well, the therapist says that she's all good to go. So I guess what entails when you're talking about mental health in these spaces, is that enough to just base it off of one therapy session being like, oh, we think it's good. And how do we balance that conversation so it's not used uh, used as a tool to continue the system how it is in a way?
5: Well, I think that having these conversations around mental health are incredibly important because right now the number one provider of mental health treatment in New York City is the Department of Corrections. That means more people are getting treated for mental health issues in jail than anywhere else in New York. And that is a horrific statistic. I mean, we should be thinking about how we can address the mental health issues people are facing without sending them to jail and prison where we know they're subjected to trauma and violence and and they're not rehabilitated in any way. So, you know, I can I can only hope that, you know, these these types of mentalities are extended to all people and that we give people you know, the opportunity to engage in mental health treatment without forcing incarceration on them.
2: Eliza Orleans, thank you so much. So much more to talk about with this conversation, but we've got to have you back on again. Eliza Orleans is a New York City public defender, Manhattan DA candidate. Go check her out on social media. She's doing great work. Have a great day.
5: Thanks for having me. Yeah, everyone check us out, ElizaOrleans.com. Let's go there with Shira
0: and Ryan, the new Channel Q.
5: A
2: recent paper found that increasing access to Medicaid coverage under the Affordable Care Act can help keep people out of prison. Joining us right now is one of those individuals who was part of this paper, Erkman Aslim, who's an assistant professor of economics at Seidman College of Business at Grand Valley State University. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, so this,
2: year. Yeah, this is a pretty uh, bold statement to make and very important to note. What inspired you all to write this paper and dive into this topic?
1: Previously, we were investigating the effect of health insurance on disadvantaged populations. And we have done several studies looking at low-income adults. And one thing that we have seen previously was um, that one of these populations that hasn't been analyzed in detail was Um, those who were um, leaving uh, prison, those uh, former inmates. And and we were basically interested in seeing whether access to health insurance among former inmates um, can reduce um, recidivism and increase access to addiction treatment. And basically, we started investigating this question by obtaining administrative data that tracks former inmates over time in um, United States. And this is a unique data because we are able to see inmates um, coming into jail. And when they leave, we are able to observe that. And when they come back to jail, we are again able to track that. So we asked the question whether um, Affordable Care Act Medicaid expansion can increase access to addiction treatment among these inmates, and in turn, reduce um, criminal recidivism
3: this conversation is also packed into a conversation about prison reform is that is that what we're looking at here is because it does seem like it's a lot is this a healthcare situation or a prison reform conversation
1: i think um it, this is more about um, health care reform because previously um these individuals weren't covered by medicaid most of these individuals weren't covered by medicaid why first of all um their income um, didn't meet the requirements of Medicaid. Second of all, half of the prison population is childless adults. And this group tended to fall out of um, the Medicaid coverage. And when they leave prison, um, there are certain challenges that former inmates face. For example, um, um, labor market om- opportunities are very limited for these individuals. It's very hard to get housing. And on top of that, they leave prison with chronic health conditions and severe mental health and addiction problems. And they cannot get access to healthcare simply because they don't have access to health insurance. So with this reform, um, they were able to gain access to Medicaid and we looked at whether this actually increases their access to healthcare, and in turn reduce recidivism.
2: Yeah. So I, I mentioned at the beginning of this, it's a bold statement and that it's actually pretty obvious that you give people basic needs coming out of a horrible place and it'll help them take care of themselves and stay out of uh, trouble or stay out of the system? Like, why is it so hard for people to realize this? And is this something that's going to be implemented now that you have this paper out and you have the results, the data?
1: Yeah, exactly. And actually, um, before talking about that, I would like to talk about some of the numbers. Yeah, we really understand um, this situation. And, so, and
2: by <laughs> the way, you're hearing the voice of Erkman Aslim, who's an assistant professor of economics at Grand Valley State University. Please take it away.
1: Perfect. So more than half of state prisoners, and um, the number is 58%, and at least 40% of federal inmates have um, substance use problems. And you might be wondering, well, do they get access to care when they are in prison? The answer is basically yes and no. Some of them get it, and we actually have the numbers for this. Among these prisoners, only 40% of women And 50% of men participate in drug treatment programs. So this simply says that not all of them get access to treatment. So we have a serious problem here. And you might be wondering, well, what happens when they're released? Um, Do they continue um, their access to treatment? Do they still access treatment? Well, we showed that 8 to 10 months after release, this percentage drops to 25%. So from 40% to um, 24%. And within three years, most of them recidivate and come back to jail and 30% report um, using illicit drugs in the past month.
2: Will this be implemented? Is this something that the Biden administration will see and say, okay, we need to do this. We need to do something about this.
1: We hope to see this and we hope that our um, results inform um, the policy process there's currently 12 states that didn't expand Medicaid. So hopefully they see that um, expanding Medicaid has implications beyond improving health outcomes. So it's not only the improvement in health outcomes, but we also see decreases in recidivism. So it definitely affects many different outcomes across the board.
2: That was Ergman Aslam, an assistant professor of economics at uh, Seidman College of Business at Grand Valley State University. Uh, Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Coming up, Drag Race's Sherry Pie apologized uh, for sexual abuse and catfishing on the Tamron Hall show today. Guess who was also on the show? Our very own Ryan Mitchell. More on what went down next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the
0: new Channel Q.
2: Drag Race star Sherry Pie was kicked off the show because it came out that he had catfished and basically sexually abused folks for dates, right? Mm
3: -hmm. For nudes, not even dates, because he was under a false identity.
2: Mm -hmm. And so basically Tamron Hall, who has a talk show award winning, and it's really great. She's been a journalist for decades. Mm -hmm. She invited him on the show to get the story, right? And she was then dragged yesterday when she announced this for even having him on the show that's where our own Ryan Mitchell comes in because he put out some tweets and I guess the producer saw his tweets and they're like, you know what? We want your take. <laughs> so
3: uh, first, tell us what went down today. I guess he apologized. Is this it? Yeah, so Sherry Pie had already released a statement when the news broke um, that he basically was sorry. He admitted that he did this. And so I wasn't really too much... Um, caring about the fact that he was getting this platform, I was actually excited that he was being thrown into the lion's den with someone (laughs) like a Tamman Hall who was going to hold his feet over the fire, right? And I think it was really important, but what I saw online were these drag race fans who mostly are white, and these uh, drag race girls, the queens, they were calling her out, not understanding who she is, ever seeing her work, and just kind of trying to cancel a black woman who we barely get that position And so for me, I spoke up to the anti-Blackness and the racism that I often see when it comes to the drag race community. We've had girls on the show talking about that. And so I felt like it was Mm -hmm. important to kind of highlight that, right? Not second guessing that she can't handle an interview like that if you're familiar with her work. Um, And so, yeah, they asked me to come on the show with that perspective. um, And I thought it was going to be a panel situation, like it was going to be someone else who had opposite (laughs) ideas from mine. But really, it turned out to just be a one-on-one with me and her, um, which was really shocking because this is my first ever television hit. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, it was really quick. It was basically she asked me, and I think we should talk about it, when... Is it the right time for someone who has been in the mud to be able to come forward and basically, what, tell their side of the story?
2: Just because someone tells their side of the story, it doesn't mean necessarily that we're saying it was okay. and They just get like, oh, they get the, what's it called, uh, get away with it. Like a pat on the back. They don't get a pass. And I think we need to distinguish that because I think broadcasters and journalists like Tamron Hall have a job to tell the stories of these people. These people are part of culture. And also you tell the story so you hold them accountable. So we realize that as a society, we don't let other people do
3: this or other people realize that Mm -hmm. they can't do this. Yeah, and he... And he's been quiet. When I tell you season 12 came out like last year, he's literally been silent. And so this is his first time even saying anything. And I'm happy that he had, he needs to be publicly uh, held accountable for his actions. Right. But I also wanted to make sure I showed up for the victims and the survivors of this being like, they should be able to get their, um, their turn, their platform to talk about their experience and what they're going through because it's traumatizing seeing this man who is at the end of the day cis and white have this opportunity to rebrand himself. And I just, I didn't like it. And I I talked about it. And so, yeah, uh, the producer texted me and said that the clip is going to be up literally around now. So you should check it out on her YouTube page if you want to see it. Or you'll Um, be posting it, I'm sure, on your tour. For sure, for sure, I'll be posting it. But I I think it's really interesting when we we have these necessary conversations to, one, recognize the duality and the nuance, (laughs) um, but then also... People need to be held accountable. And at the end of the day, that's what journalists are for.
2: Yeah, not just Twitter.
3: <laughs> exactly.
2: Uh, well, congratulations, Ryan. Thanks. I can't wait to see the full clip. We, cool. we love you. We're so proud of you here on the show.
3: I got to stop tweeting. that gets me into things.
2: <laughs> I got you into something good, though. Yeah, hey. true. Now, uh, coming up on the show, is Caitlyn Jenner running for governor of California? More details on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back and we were talking about Ryan being on Tamron Hall's show uh, today. I know you just rewatched the whole thing. What was that
3: like? I mean, honestly, the coolest thing ever. I haven't rewatched the whole entire thing yet because I'm too nervous to. um, But the link is up. I know we literally just was like, oh, it'll be up around this time. But the link is finally up. It is exists on her website. Oh, and let me just tell you. They call her the future Oprah. What if she, I can say I literally did a sit down with the future Oprah one day. I'm just uh, saying. Yeah,
2: and then what if she, like Oprah, they would launch shows, spin off with all the folks
3: that were on the show? I don't know, you know. talking about? It's a possibility if y'all watch it, share it, like it, comment on it, tell your thoughts. I don't know, maybe the more attention online it gets, then it's like,
2: Yes, can you, you make know? me your white lady sidekick? <laughs>
3: You're my. You're what che- uh, Chewy was to Chelsea Handler to me. You're. Okay, he great. Chewy was so cute. Chewy was the that. perfect person. R.I.P. Rest in peace, Chewy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Coming up, but
2: I appreciate that. Coming up on uh, the show, uh, bills that are restricting trans student athletes have advanced in three states. Human Rights Campaign State Director in Mississippi, Rob Hill, joins us for that in 20 minutes. Plus, it's not just you. A lot of us are hitting a pandemic wall right now. We'll tell you why and what you can do to change that. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. At least 12 people are dead in four states from the effects of a record-shattering cold and series of winter storms in Texas. More than 4 million homes and businesses are still without power. Hundreds of thousands of households have been warned to boil water because of the blackouts. And Representative Sheila Jackson Lee is asking New York and California for help.
1: The federal government is now asking New York and California if they can help us. I even asked Mexico, but Mexico is in dire straits right now because they didn't get the natural gas that they needed to get.
2: Now other citizens are stepping up. Mattress Mac, as he is known, who made national headlines when he opened his furniture store to shelter Texans during Hurricane Harvey in 2017, is at it again.
6: My reaction is it is what it is. What can we do to help? So
3: that's that was my reaction. My granddaughter came out here because she wants to help and, uh... Uh, and her her dad of course so uh they were out without power last night she's got a little brother who's three months old so it's it's critical for everybody so rather than complain about what should have been done let's just do things that are good for the community
2: and uh houston megachurch pastor joel osteen or is it osteen osteen anyway, you're osteen right. you were close says he feels blessed to be able to open his church to those impacted by the winter storm too
3: He barely means that. I promise you. Remember when they basically forced him to help out the last time and and he didn't even want to help during the hurricanes? Yes. I don't trust him.
2: He's being called out for saying he's blessed to help out the needy. He's so annoying. And uh, finally, Caitlyn Jenner will not be running to be the next governor of California. Jenner's manager has squashed a rumor that Jenner is considering a run for office if Governor Gavin Newsom is recalled. She said, Caitlin is not running for governor, has never considered running for governor, and is very happy doing the work that she is doing to promote LGBT rights and spending time with her 18 grandchildren and 10 children. That comes from her manager, Sophia Hutchins. Republicans are pouring money into the recall effort over Newsom's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Trump supporters in the GOP have dumped over $3.5 million into the initiative, and proponents say that they have gathered enough signatures to trigger the recall.
4: That's
3: news to me. I didn't know Sophia was now her manager. Wow, that's interesting. Um, But yeah, maybe Kim Kardashian can be attorney general. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Remember when The Rock was still entertaining the idea of running for president? Well, it is time for your T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So I'm not sure if you all knew this, but The Rock has a new show that is basically about his life growing up. It's called Young Rock on NBC. Um, and he's doing a whole bunch of press right now. And basically this question, he was, uh, it's continued to be asked in his press runs, right? Is he going to run for president? Here's what he had to say in this new interview. He said, I would consider a presidential run in the future. if that's what the people wanted. Truly. I mean that I'm not flipping in any way with my answer. That would be up to the people. So I would wait and I would listen. I would have my finger on the post, my ear to the ground. But my question is, do we really need another celebrity in chief? He's a better
2: celebrity in chief. I think he has a heart, so I'd be okay with I that.
3: I don't know him personally, so I can't say if he has a heart or not. I just know he people love him, and he has really He's not
2: problematic. He seems to be a good person.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Let us know at LGT Show on social. And, of course, find this story on com. That is your T-Report.
2: Well, coming up on the show, are you hitting a pandemic wall right now while you're not alone and what to
0: do about it that's next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q.
2: Have you been feeling burnt out lately like you've hit a pandemic wall? Well, you are not alone. And here to help us navigate this is Jessica Gold, who's an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for being here for this topic. Thanks for having me. You know, when I read this article uh, on, uh, it's actually in HuffPost.com, I actually have been feeling this lately. I've been feeling a bit, yeah, I guess burnt out. That's all I can say. Or just like, I I need a break. I'm feeling like I'm worried. I'm not excited about the things that typically excite me. And I hate when that happens because for me, that's a sign. Why do you think that's hitting us now? Is this a different burnout than other moments of burnout during the pandemic?
6: I don't know that it's like completely different. I think this whole thing has been just cycles and cycles of burnout, right? Yeah. But I think the difference really is like we're about to hit the year. And I think all of these milestones just remind us we're still here, right? And we're still doing this. And when you kind of have these Groundhog Day moments where we're doing the same thing over and over and there's no calendar to keep telling you you're doing the same thing over and over, these milestones remind you you're still doing the same thing over and over, right? (laughs) And so the year reminder is just another one of those. Right. And I think like with people having to maybe celebrate their second birthday in a pandemic or maybe have these like kind of second things coming around in this like thing. It's like, oh, wait, oh, no, I'm still doing this. And it also still has that like uncertainty flavor to it where we still also don't have an end. And so we've been sort of like running this perpetual marathon of uncertainty with a moving target of like an end zone or whatever, like a moving finish line. And people just keep being like, well, it's going to end. Well, it's going to end. Well, it's going to end, but it hasn't. And so that's partially why we just are exhausted because it's like, oh, I hit that again. Now we're in this like it's been a year cool when's that over and so that's partially why I think it's not any different it's just exhausting
3: I think our the pandemic has really especially last year has really overactivated our stress system And I wonder, as we are going into this year, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine and all these things, how do we kind of reel it back in to have a normal stress system, not one that has me on the brink of all things disaster,
6: It's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, we've been on like heightened stress level perpetually, right? And so we have stress to predict threat and run from a threat. And we've just been predicting and running for a year and plus some, right? It's just been horrible. I mean, I think the way that we do that is to do our best to live day to day. It's really hard to do, right? Because for the most part, we're like, hey, threat, threat. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not safe. And so it's hard to do that. But I mean, people who have chronic illness do that all the time. People in recovery do that all the time. And so you kind of have to set your mindset to be like, All right, I have absolutely no control over a lot of things, but there are some things I can control. And so trying to control yourself, trying to control your reactions to things, trying to control like your feelings and the things that you enjoy, trying to control your coping skills, whatever you can actually have some ability to rein in, I think is really important.
2: Yeah, again, we're talking to Jessica Gold, who's uh, from the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis. For me, it's interesting because I feel like when we were in that place where there was nothing that was possible, it almost felt freeing, Mm. right? Now we're in the gray area where nothing is really possible. There's still a lot of uncertainty, but uh, there's a bit of like people are getting back to their lives and the hustle and you're kind of like stuck in between both. And that could be in and of itself very draining,
6: I think for sure, especially if you are a person who's still like, I believe in science and some of my friends don't. I think that can be particularly hard because you're like, wait, if that person's like out having a blast, am I missing something? And it's not even out. Like there's clubhouse, there's all these things. And it's like, yeah, now
2: it's time to hustle again. You can make it happen. It doesn't even matter if the world shut down. What are you doing? So we're getting back into that mode and that can mess with your minds. Yes.
6: Do you want to be back in that mode? If you're an overachiever, I think that it could be triggering. <laughs> yeah, we're all overachievers, right? I mean, I think that's sort of then you kind of resettle and say, like, what do I enjoy doing? And what do I want to be doing? And what things do I find joy and purpose in? And is that just because somebody else is doing it and tells me I should be doing it? And who's like setting my standards? And I think that's really hard to do, right? Because we live in like a society where other people tell us what we should be doing, or our parents did. And we bought, bought into that a really long time ago. And we never really set like, our goals in our life based on our own internal compass. And so when we started like when we were kids, somebody else told us what to do. When we kind of like went through school, someone else told us what to do. And so we're really like not super good at listening to ourselves. And so we kind of have to re figure that out. And if that is now, it seems like a good time. Oh my God, preach, can you teach
2: me <laughs> that? That'd be awesome.
6: Well, Jessica Gold, you've been a
2: pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Again, Jessica's an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis. Coming up on the show, bills are restricting trans student athletes, and they've advanced in three states. We have Human Rights Campaign State Director from Mississippi joining us for that next.
0: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Dakota,
2: Mississippi and Utah have advanced bills aimed at preventing transgender students, athletes, especially trans girls from competing on teams, comporting with their gender identity. Uh, And joining us right now is Rob Hill, who's the state director at the Human Rights Campaign in Mississippi. Thanks for being here for this very unfortunate topic we continue to have to talk about. Yeah,
7: I I wish I didn't have to be here to talk about it either. But uh, thank you for for covering this and thank you for uh, inviting me.
2: Yeah, it seems like there has been a groundswell this year or and even last year around this discussion. Why is this being brought up everywhere right now?
7: Well, we've, yeah, we've seen this around the, the country. I mean, this is another uh, attempt to roll back rights. Uh, you know, they tried it with uh, after the Burger Bell decision with marriage. Uh, they tried it with bathroom bills. This is a new uh, the newest iteration of bills that are uh, that are intended to you know, not just affect the transgender community but disenfranchise the entire lgbtq community
3: you know i think what's interesting and what kind of irritated me when I was doing research on this, uh, especially in Memphis, Republican Senator Angela Hill, who is the legislation sponsor, said, I've had numerous coaches across the state call me and believe that they feel there's a need for a policy in Mississippi because they are beginning to have some concerns of having to deal with this. But she never mentioned of any transgender athletes who are currently competing in Mississippi. And so it feels like they just made up an excuse to kind of... I think it's- yeah. <laughs> to to come yeah, up yeah, into this, and I wanted totally. it, I wanted to get your reaction yeah. to to that because it just feels like a, a dismissal of the the real problem here.
7: Yeah, that's totally. You know, we I don't believe that for a minute. We don't have this is not an issue. We don't have we don't know of instances where men and boys are um, attempting to or pretending to be women. Um, you know, in, uh, to have a competitive advantage. Uh, and, and we just know from research and, and science that they don't have a competitive advantage. These transgender people uh, don't have a, a competitive advantage. The only thing bills like this succeed in is is uh, increasing the stigma, which leads to bullying. Which leads to violence against LGBTQ people, and specifically, you know, transgender people. In Mississippi, the fourth murder of a trans person occurred uh, here in, in Mississippi—a trans Black woman uh, in Jackson on January 11th. Uh, and, and their response is to pass an anti-trans bill. Uh, you know, you know. Again, this is—we're dealing with an epidemic of violence against uh, fatal violence against trans people, and bills like this don't don't help. They increase the stigma.
2: Definitely. Again, you're talking um, or hearing from Rob Hills, the state director at the Human Rights Campaign in Mississippi. But do you think this is also a reaction to the Biden administration uh, creating all these anti-discrimination laws right now and the other side feeling the need to come back at the country with this and at the administration with this?
7: That's definitely something that we're hearing from leadership um, uh, here on the ground in Mississippi. And I I suspect that's the case in other places. You know, any time progress is made, and certainly uh, President Biden has rolled back a lot of the the disenfranchisements that uh, we've seen under the previous administration, anytime we see progress like that, we're going to see a, a backlash. We we expected, um, you know, as a result of the Bostock decision that occurred back in June where the Supreme court ruled that uh, sex under the 19, uh, 1964 civil rights act uh, uh, includes uh, gender identity and sexual orientation as it res- as it relates to uh, employment protections. So we, we suspected that we would get, um, uh, pushback, and indeed we have. We've seen uh, an onslaught uh, here in 2021, just like we saw in 2016 as a result of the Obergefell decision.
3: I'm just, I mean, it's its really frustrating <laughs> to, to know that this is something that we're still having to fight, especially with knowing there are people, uh, trans people, in working as legislators in, in federal government at this point. Even though Biden Harris are making this most the most inclusive and diverse, you know, administration that we've ever seen. Is that really helping these smaller towns? I'm from the South, the Bible Belt specifically, so I'm understanding where all of this coming from. Do you think we're moving forward in a place as the Biden and Harris administration are trying to, you know, really show as an example? Is that enough really?
7: Yeah, well, certainly we have a we know that um, we certainly were very pleased with this election. We worked very hard as yes. an organization to, to to make sure that um, we had a Biden-Harris administration. Um, but yes, I mean, we've definitely seen backlash of uh, communities around the, the, the country and certainly here at the statewide level. So it's it's evidence that there is a lot of work still to be done uh, just because we have a pro-equality um, uh, executive, um, administ- or the, the executive branch. Of the um, of our government is now pro equality, and I guess you you know arguably both uh, sides of the, the the House and the Senate are, are pro equality as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still work to be done. You know, one of the great things is that that in Mississippi, you know, over the last um, five years, we've had four communities um, uh, pass fully inclusive, non-discrimination protections. Uh, The business community has been uh, very vocal uh, against bad bills. So, so there is, you know, certainly we've seen, you know, the the backlash that we've seen from the, uh, like we've seen this year in in, uh, legislatures around the the state, around the country, but we've seen progress in in community. So I want to point that out right here in Mississippi. We've seen that.
2: Well, uh, that was Rob Hill, state director at the human rights campaign in Mississippi. Thanks again for being here and for all your great work.
7: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that.
2: Now, coming up on the show, how Reddit became America's unofficial unemployment hotline and how you can get some of those benefits. That's next.
0: Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. Reddit has been here
2: for us in different ways during the pandemic. Of course, it blew up the stock market. We saw that with GameStop. Well, now it's helping those who are unemployed as well. I mean, it's not surprising that Reddit has this as a subreddit, which is kind of like a forum, right? So there is a forum called unemployment. And basically they get like thousands of posts a day from people trying to figure everything out because it is an old and antiquated system. Uh, from you know, delays in payments and un- uncertainty about legislation uh to what's happening at the labor department, unemployment benefits. People are hitting up Reddit to seek the answers, basically.
3: <laughs> Which is so weird because I automatically, I thought just by kind of glancing over this article before I read it it was just interesting to to see like oh is this about maybe people are being able to monetize like the amount of comments or posts that they're making or if their thread becomes super popular then they can make some money off of it but really this is just a space for people to i guess not to be so blunt and harsh about it but to find i was going to say something else but but to find well, community is i think is a nicer way to say complain,
2: complain complain about the system <laughs> <laughs> and F the system, what is going on?
3: Which, I mean, same. I wish I had, like, a you know, a group of people of like, which I do, I guess. It depends on, that's. it's basically social media. I just thought that's what Reddit always was. And now it's being, like, seen as this hotline of some sorts.
2: Yeah, here's the thing. You ever tried calling those hotlines? It actually real government numbers, Ryan?
3: <laughs> no, the only hotlines that I used to call were sex hotlines when I was young. Wow! It's true, okay. I did. I
2: did. <laughs> that's that's another conversation. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I did. I mean,
3: did anybody? Did everybody used to do that?
2: I didn't, but I guess now I'm thinking about it. Maybe I was a
3: bit kid. <laughs> I guess where I should
2: have been. Uh, but here's the thing: is like you call any of those numbers, it's hard to reach someone on the other. And it's hard to get answers. I mean, I tried to change my address on my Social Security and IRS form. I couldn't even figure it out. So it makes sense to have forms like this where, you know, smart people are helping the not so smart people who just don't get what's happening and need to navigate it because it
3: sucks. It sucks when you're in that place and you
2: just want to figure it out and you can't even get any answers on the other end.
3: Yeah, and I I have to agree with that, right? I think there is a, a sense of one, finding people who are going through the same thing, that's the good thing about social media, and finding ways of how they're coping and maybe applying it to your own life to be like, oh, well, maybe this works for me as well. Um, and so I do think it's interesting, even though I know there's a dark side as well. Like, this just feels like this may be the most positive side or positive thing that comes out of Reddit, in my opinion. I'm not really a Redditor.
2: The most practical thing that comes out of Reddit. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's positive, too. People are finding community, like I said. Yeah, and they're getting answers to questions that, uh, that revolve around making money. I guess everything around Reddit is revolves around trying to figure out how to make money, right? Very but true. you know, this is this was brought up by producer Vanessa that it reminded her of the new episode of Crime The Girl That Disappeared would write everything on Tumblr and
3: she ended <gasps> up gone. She's talking about the 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 new documentary on Netflix C- the CISO documentary. Um, about the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. I think that's what she's talking about because that girl also did that. But, but
2: on Reddit, you are anonymous. You have your username. Mine would be Unicorn245 or something. It's not like someone could track me down possibly and say, oh, Shira, you know, I, I'm i intrigued by this person. I'm going to track her down and then find her and do things. Well, anyway, if you have questions around unemployment and you've had a hard time getting answers, check it out. Maybe this will help you. R/ unemployment on reddit coming up on the show why social media is calling out south korea after airing the bohemian rhapsody movie on tv and hint it involves gay kiss scenes that's next on what's trending
0: this hour let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q
2: well, because of the pandemic, Mardi Gras is no longer happening in New Orleans. So you know what people are doing instead, Ryan?
3: Yeah, I, actually I do because I, I watch the morning shows and I tweeted about it earlier. So I can't ruin it but for what are they listening. doing? They're they're, oh, they're calling to- it
2: they're calling it Yardi gras. All right. <laughs> Which I actually find it's pretty creative. It's pretty if actually you can't be out there. Yes. If you can't be out there doing the festival and everything, then you know, celebrate on your yard in a safe way.
3: I like this. No, it's actually really cute because it, it feels like uh if you are familiar with Candy Cane Lane, it feels like that, but for Mardi Gras, where all of the houses in the neighborhood decorate their houses, Mardi Gras themes, and people are going so elaborate. Like I wish I was in New Orleans and I was just driving down neighborhoods yeah. looking at the decorations. It seems really festive. I'm 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 so here for this.
2: And that way, if you drink, you already are at home. You have nowhere to go. It's easy to get back to your bed.
3: Except for the people who are going to visit the houses, because then they're not at home and they're just yes, gonna be drunk safe. on the yes. sidewalk. No,
2: yeah, do not drink <laughs> and drive. Uh, now, coming up on the show this hour for Black History Month, the real work that needs to be done to protect all Black women, we've got Aaron Evans, Senior Enterprise Editor of Culture at HuffPost, joining us for that really great conversation, so stay tuned for that. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Dr. Fauci learned that he is part of a new pop culture term. It's called... Fauci. Fauci. Yes, oh, here yes. he is on Axios. There's actually a term in dating now called Fauciing someone. Do you know what
6: that
3: means? No, what does it mean?
6: <laughs> uh, it means cutting off a relationship if you don't think that that other person is serious enough about social distancing and
2: taking the pandemic seriously. Like, oh, I Faucied <laughs> that guy.
7: I'm going to Fauci you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So you can watch that full episode on Axios on HBO tonight, the interview at 6 p.m. Eastern uh, and Pacific on all HBO platforms. What do you think about this fauci
3: I mean, I think Fauci is the America's father. I think actually he is the founding father um, because people love him so much and he's saving our lives. And so go Fauci. And our dating
2: lives. In
3: our, our dating lives. Uh, And now
2: Congressional Democrats renewed their focus today on passing President Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill. They face a mid-March deadline, and Biden is participating in a CNN town hall event in Wisconsin tonight to discuss the coronavirus, the economy and other issues. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said he will use that opportunity to promote his relief plan, including those $1,400 stimulus checks we're all wondering about, as well as hundreds of billions of dollars for schools, city and state governments and coronavirus tech- testing, vaccines, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. The huge. Finally, a TV broadcaster in South Korea blurred some scenes of men kissing in the Freddie Mercury biopic Bohemian Rhapsody and cut other scenes entirely. So everyone's freaking out about this, obviously. SBS claims it is not uncommon to edit movies for content when broadcasting during earlier hours when children can watch. But one group objected saying it's discriminatory. Duh. The attitude of dismissing both the story and scenes of sexual minorities as violent or sensational is nothing more than censorship that shows hatred and discrimination against sexual minorities. That comes from the Korean LGBTQ plus group Rainbow Action. And that was what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan.
3: Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles aren't Instagram official yet, but they just came pretty close. It's time for your tea report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So Olivia is directing Harry Styles in a uh, in her upcoming thriller Don't Worry Darling. Um basically she was praising Um, The one director singer for his talent and warmth in a sweet post on Monday. She's actually been doing this what, you know, because the film is wrapping. And so she's been honoring the cast and the crew of her new movie. Uh, But it's her tribute to Harry that has everyone talking. Here's a little bit of what she said. Uh, Quote, little known fact, most male uh, actors don't want to play supporting roles in female led films. The industry has raised them to believe it lessens their power to accept these roles, which is one of the reasons it's so hard to get financing for movies focusing on female stories. And he goes on and on just praising how amazing he's doing his acting. And to be honest, all I could think while I was reading this is, honey, he must have some really good D.
2: He has some good, you know.
3: Maybe, but it to go on Instagram and just proclaim basically your love for him in that way, it just feels like he she has like he's wrapped around her finger <laughs> or she's wrapped around his finger. I don't Something's know. Something's
2: going on behind closed doors.
3: <laughs> Let us know what you think about Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde. I thought that was super cute. Over at LGT Show on Social and of course we are com to check out any of the stories that I have talked about today. Well, coming up
2: on the show, the real work that needs to be done to protect all black women during Black History Month and every day. Erin Evans, the editor of HuffPost, joins us for that next. Let's go there
0: with Shira Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. As we celebrate Black History Month,
2: many people, including us, were highlighting the work of Black women who have been central figures of the fight for democracy and liberation. From Ida B. Wells and the suffrage movement in 1913 to Stacey Abrams and her work on the ground with communities and organizations to get Biden and then two senators voted in in Georgia, making the red state blue. Uh, And joining us right now is someone who wrote a beautiful piece in HuffPost about all of this, Erin E. Evans, who's a senior enterprise and editor of Culture at HuffPost. Thanks for being here.
4: Thanks so much for having me.
2: So as you wrote in your piece, HuffPost is honoring Black women of past and present whose life stories paint a portrait of America. Why was this something that you wanted to focus on specifically right now?
4: Well, you know, when we first start planning Black History Month coverage, it it happens, I think, much earlier than people think. You kind of have to think about, you know, what is the best way to talk about Black history in the moment today? And we started talking about, what our coverage would look like back in late October, early November, it was, it wasn't clear what the state of the nation would look like. Um, And we didn't want something to be too celebratory if we had happened to reelect former president Trump. Um, But we also wanted to speak to really this momentum around conversations about what it means to protect black women and, and celebrate black women for the work that they do to make this, democracy of democracy, right? And so in thinking about what our coverage would look like, I knew that the work that Black women were doing in this country was going to be something that would be sustainable, but also something that is a timeless thing to talk about, right? And so once I landed on covering Black women, for me, it was a no-brainer to think about so many of the issues and topics that we talk about often around whether it's sexual assault or violence against transgender people, um, and thinking about our Black girls and and how they are affected around um, the adultification around literal girls who are seen often as adults, right? Um, And I wanted to really focus on Black women who were really doing the work of what it means to protect Black women Um, And uplifting them in this moment where it's easy to say protect Black women and Black women save democracy and and all of this, but what does the work actually look Mm. like? And the women we featured are are doing the work and we, we want to pull in other communities to be helping in the trenches as well.
3: Yeah, you know, I think about this conversation always, and a lot of uh, things like this in, in a very pop culture lens, and what we see with, you know, rapper Meg Thee Stallion, and, you know, uh, Chloe Bailey from Hallie and Bailey, and the, the backlash that, they're, that they constantly get over, you know, them just either being themselves, or violence against them happening. It seems like we're in this repeated cycle where, like you said, people are always saying, protect Black women, but if something goes wrong, it's like they're Ready to pounce? Is is that something that you think is here to stay? Are these conversations actually sticking? What's the point, really? You know,
4: I mean i I hope that the conversations actually stick. I mean, you know, we have an inauguration where you know Joe Biden is elected as president. We have the first female vice president um, who happens to be a black woman, and a South Asian woman um, in the White House as well, and that. That representation in the White House is great, but what is you know what is the work that comes out of that? Right. What are the policies that are put in place? What are the actions that happen not just at the federal level, but at the state and at the local level, and um, within our communities? Right.
2: How um, can allies and white women uh, work alongside and support? Because like the feeling is like I feel horrible that this the weight is on your shoulders. Right. Like that's just a horrible feeling and you want to do something about it. Is it so possible? Sure.
4: I mean, it's hard. I mean, that's that's a part of doing the work. Right. And like thinking about what access to resources that a white ally may have that she can share with a black woman organizer or even access to other people who might have resources. Maybe you aren't the person, but you're, your yeah. friend or dad or cousin or somebody has access to some powerful person who can help open a door or give resources to, to make some of these policy requests or organizations be able to run and, and, and provide the support that, that is needed. I mean, I think about, um, you mentioned Kendall Stevens and, uh, the piece she wrote for us around, Mm -hmm. um, transgender violence. It's like, there's you know, Black trans women thinking about housing instability and food instability and the intersection of so many issues that really culminate around their identity, right? And and the things that they can't get. What are the ways that we can support our most vulnerable? Yep, definitely. That
2: was Erin E. Evans, Senior Enterprise Editor of Culture at HuffPost. You're amazing. Your piece is amazing. Please check it out at HuffPost.com. Let's go there
0: with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our
2: Yes Queen of the Day.
0: Yes Queen. Kavanaugh
2: Bell used his life savings to deliver meals to senior citizens confined to their homes during the pandemic. Those life savings were $640, and Bell is just eight years old. What are you doing with your life?
6: (laughs) Not enough. I just thought about my grandma because I didn't want her to catch the coronavirus. I told my mom, I asked her if we can go to the grocery store to get stuff for her. But I started thinking about all these other people at her senior facility. So I used my $640, which was my life savings to make 72 care packs to give to senior citizens. And a bunch of people shared my story and people all around the world started donating. Look at all this food we
2: got. Now, I find this so sweet. It was on the recount and everyone was sharing this video. And I do love how these times have inspired so many people of a younger generation, all the kids out there to do
3: great things. It inspires me. I I bet it does, especially when we're, you know, contemplating our own lives and just figuring out where we went wrong. Um, I don't, <laughs> <Totally>. I'm not. <laughs> also, you know, it's interesting as an adult when you have the,
2: all the tools and ability to do everything that the idea of doing what he did feels overwhelming. Like and what? You stop yourself from actually doing it when an eight-year-old decides to do it and he actually
3: makes it happen. It's like they told us to worry about the wrong thing. They told us to worry about puberty when they should have been saying, worry about anxiety and mental health and adulting yes. because that's what ruins our innocence, that I swear. That ruins everything. <laughs>
2: Now, uh, so this youngster, Kavanaugh Bell, definitely gets a Yaz yeah Queen today. And uh, we're moving on to Alexis Ohanian. This is the husband of Serena Williams. Well, he cheered his wife's victory to advance into the semifinals with a t-shirt featuring a photo of the tennis star that read, greatest female athlete, but female was crossed out. And everyone is celebrating uh, this picture. Uh, He was answering doubters who would not consider Williams the winner of 23 Grand Slam singles titles as the best athlete, period. And then he elaborated on Twitter, lashing out at Madrid, open director and former pro uh, L- ion tyriac i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right who suggested that williams retire because of her age and weight i don't get what is up with these people being so discriminatory to and sexist and racist constantly to serena williams she always gets it from people it's really unfortunate but she's fortunate to have fans obviously a lot of people on her side including her husband alexis ohanian
3: Yeah. And also it's because she's black and tennis is a very white sport and they have tried to gatekeep it, but they can't gatekeep it. You know, it is her domain and she is the queen of that.
2: Yes. And she actually did recently a tour of her Miami house where you can see where she puts all her uh, her trophies. It was pretty fun to watch. She's cute. Now, uh, that was our Yes Queen of the Day. And that wraps up our show. Yes, Queen. And we're back tomorrow. Weekdays here for you on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Texas lawmakers are trying to pass pro LGBTQ proposals. Well, that's a good thing, but do they have a chance? Plus, how public schools are working to recognize Black brilliance within a broken system, that and more tomorrow, as well as what's trending in the news. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, don't you worry because we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. Now we're sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Love Line where Dr. Chris will be covering the impact of pandemic on friendships. Ooh, that should be interesting. That's next.